Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be here, and I want to ask for your Holy Spirit to guide me now. Uh, your Son promised that when we ask, we will receive, and uh, Lord, we ask because we know that in and of ourselves, we, we do not know what to say, we do, not, not know, we do not know how to present you rightly, but Lord, as we surrender our lives to you, we just invite your Spirit to take control, and so be with us this morning, Lord. May your spirit speak to each one of us individually here, and may we discern your voice, I pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, um, I would like you to turn to Romans chapter 8, and uh, we're going to begin our time together in Romans chapter 8. We're going to go to some other verses as well this morning. I want you to take notice of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. This is a very well-known scripture to many of you. Maybe some of you know it by heart. You have oftentimes quoted, perhaps in difficult circumstances, to gain encouragement. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. I'm going to continue to read in verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. We're going to see if we can understand a little bit better what Paul is saying here, what the Spirit is saying here. And I believe that these verses, what it does when we read them and when we contemplate them, it really gives us this bigger picture. Sometimes we think of the gospel as merely events in our lives, maybe even a moment in our lives that we can look back and say, okay, that's where the gospel began to work in my lives, and we put a date to it or a time to it. Or we look back and we say, well, there was at this moment in my life that I had this experience with the gospel. But I believe that as we take a bigger look, a, a, a bigger picture uh, of the gospel, we will find out that it extends even beyond our lives. It is fascinating. The gospel started with God thinking of you even before you were born. So God has a larger plan, a bigger picture. And I think that if we can tap into that picture, if we can grasp it a little bit better, we will see and realize that God's sustaining power has been with us and upon us all throughout our lives and that He has allowed circumstances to shape us and mold us to bring us to Himself. Sometimes when I hear people share their testimony, and I know that they mean it well, and I've probably used this language myself, we will say things like this, um, I went through this and this and this experience and then I found God. How many of you have heard that? Or maybe you've even said that yourself, I found God. But actually, to be more correct and more scriptural, we should say, God found me. Amen? We, we did not find God. It's not a hide-and-seek game. God is not hiding somewhere up there. As a matter of fact, God has revealed himself in many ways, and he has been pursuing you. You have not been pursuing God. God has been pursuing you. And, and so when you came to the acknowledgement of God, he, he knew you long way before that, before you were born. You're in the mind of God. You existed in his mind. 
And so to grasp this larger picture of the gospel will, I believe, really help us to experience a paradigm shift in our understanding of who God is. God knew me before I was born. God appointed the very place where I was born, the circumstances around my birth. He, he knew where I was born, how I was going to grow up, the things that were going to happen in my life. And God wants to shape all these circumstances in order for me to come to the point where I say, God, I want you in my life. I want to just, I want to stop for a moment and allow you, that you have been pursuing me all of my life, I want you to take a hold of me. And so it's not us finding God, but it's God finding us. And I believe if you look back for a moment on your story, on your experience, on your life, you will be able to trace the hand of God as he's been pursuing you, as he wants to take a hold of you. In the book of Acts chapter 17, when, G when, when Paul is talking to the Athenians, he says to them that, that God knew the boundaries of their dwellings and their appointed times. In this language, Paul is really saying that God knew where they were born, when they were born, the circumstances around their lives, and all for the purpose that they would, and he used that language in Acts chapter 17, that they would grope after him, that they would feel after him, that they would search after him. And maybe when you just think about the circumstances of your life, maybe if you look a little bit more careful, you will find the fingerprints of God all over it. You know, I think of my own life. I was born in the country of New Zealand. Um, I don't have a Kiwi accent, I apologize for that. But I grew up in New Zealand, but I was only 10 years old when my parents, they, 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 they moved back to Holland. We as a family moved back to Holland. My parents were actually Dutch. Uh, when they got married, they decided that they wanted a whole new start, a new beginning. And uh, my mom had watched once a nature documentary on TV about the country New Zealand, and she thought it was absolutely stunning. And so she said to my dad, uh, why don't we go to New Zealand? And uh, when you look at the globe, you will find out that Holland is about as far, as, uh, far, as far away from New Zealand as you can get. <laughs> you know, you just stick a pin through the earth and you end up in New Zealand. Many people call it the end of the world. And as I said here at opening night of the, of the week of prayer, I said, people call it the end of the world, but those that are from New Zealand know better because it's the beginning of the world. <laughs> amen? That's where time starts. That's where time begins. Can I get an amen from the Kiwis here? All right, we have a couple of them. And so I was born in New Zealand. I grew up in New Zealand. And uh, my father, he was a carpenter, and he, he worked, and he sustained our family. But uh, some difficult times came, and a couple of the contracts that he had, they fell through, leading into a very, very difficult situation for my family to the very point where there was really... We, we, they couldn't, they couldn't, have their, they couldn't uh, pay their bills anymore, and they were looking into going back to Holland. But at that time, and this is such a pivotal moment that I see in, in, in my own story of how God intervened and how God showed his love uh, in a very, very real way uh, to my family. Because it was just prior to them returning to Holland that there was a Christian family, a Seventh-day Adventist family, that said, you know, we want to help you to get back on your feet, and so we would like you to come into uh, our home and you can stay here when you've had as long, so that you can figure out things and, uh, and that you can just, just look into how you're going to move forward from here. And so as a family, we moved in with them and uh, it was really like an anthill because I have four siblings and this other family um, had five kids and so you can imagine what that's like. 
But we lived there for a couple of weeks, for a few months, I believe it was. And during this time, we saw practical Christianity put on display. And we talked this morning in the Sabbath school about, you know, it's one thing with all the cliches of Christianity, but it's another thing when you actually know him, when you know Jesus. And how do you know him when you see him on display in the lives of others? Amen? And, and here, we, uh, our family could see a display of Christianity, of practical Christianity in helping us as a family to figure out what we're going to do next. And eventually, my, uh, as a family, we moved back to Holland, and uh, that's where I spent most of my teenage years, in the Netherlands. When I came to my late teen years, I had the conviction very strongly that I wanted to serve God for the rest of my life. Now, um, as a teenager, I really um, had been living my life with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, you know what that means? You know, going along in the routine of, of, of the church life, but also going along in the routine of what a teenager does uh, in this world. Uh, but it came to a point that I really made the decision, Lord, I want to give you everything. I want to belong to you. I want my life to have meaning and purpose. And so I went to this camp meeting and it really stirred my heart when I heard these messages about, also about the shortness of time. And I thought to myself, you know, yeah, we are living in solemn times and I want to be a proclaimer of the gospel. Now, this decision matured as I came into my early 20s. And as I shared with you earlier in this week of prayer, I was baptized when I was 20. And I decided to go to a uh, missionary college, a mission school, which was in Scandinavia at that time. And I would never forget that when I made that decision to go to this mission college and to actually stop the education that I was in at that time in order to go there and to be prepared to do whatever the Lord wanted me to do, that people in my church thought that I was just going a little bit too far. They thought that, you know, okay, it's one thing for you to be, you know, engaged in Christianity in the church maybe perhaps you can do a Sabbath school or you can do this but for you to really just stop your education right now and go to this mission college and then what, what is going to happen after that how are you going to live your life what are you going to do that's just a little bit too radical and so I would hear that even from church members that you know that that's something you shouldn't do and and of course from family members I would hear you know how are you going to how are you going to what, what, what are you going to do after that school? And where are you going to go? And how are you going to pay your bills? And, uh, you know, is there any future in, 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 that, in that idea that you have there? And I remember very well, and there were a few, a handful of people that supported me in this, and I remember very well that, that I started even doubting if this was a wise decision to take. As a young man, to, to basically go and to, to get to the school that I knew very little about, but I did know that there was a preparation to, to share Christ, and that's what I wanted with my life. I thought to myself, is it true that I'm radical? Is it true that, I, that I've lost the plot, that, that this is not something that I should do with my life? And it was at that point that I, I really prayed to the Lord, and I prayed that the Lord would speak to me. And I said, God, you've got to give me a promise, an assurance that I'm on the right track. 
that I know that this decision is not something that I, that I have made, but that you want for my life. And I prayed earnestly, and I said, God, I have your word here. I believe it. I want to build my life upon it, and now you need to speak to me. And I took my Bible, and I don't, I don't, I don't recommend that you do this always, but th- this worked for me at this moment, and God, you know, he winks at the times of ignorance. And I said, I take my Bible, I'm going to open it up, and you've got to give me something. And so I open it up, and I open it up to Luke chapter 12. And I want to share this passage with you this morning, so you can turn there, Luke chapter 12. And there might be moments in your life where you say, you know, there was this verse in Scripture, there was this passage in Scripture that sustained me through that moment. Perhaps you've even put a date besides that verse. You say, you know, this passage, I I read it again and again, and I can just remember how it sustained me, how it helped me, how it encouraged me. Well, here in Luke chapter 12 was just such a passage that really sustained me in ways that that, that, that I can't even begin to, to comprehend. It's, 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 it just overwhelms me. Luke chapter 12, and take a look at verse 22. Now, the moment that I opened up script, the, the scriptures and I read this, I was worrying like crazy. I was worrying about what my future one was going to hold because people said, you know, well, if you, don't, if you don't get this college degree, if you don't get that college degree, how are you going to make it in life? What are you going to do in life? You know, this, 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 this idea of yours, it just sounds crazy. And I started actually buying into those thoughts and thinking, yeah, what am I actually doing with my life? And so I open up and I read verse 22, Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Jesus says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Amen? Do not worry about your life. It's so easy to worry, my friends. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them, and how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? You know, I was always very uh, short for my age, and, and you know, has anyone worried here about, you know, they would want to be a bit taller? Have you ever had that? Yeah, you've had that, you know? And then God is just like, don't worry, because by worrying, you're not going to add anything to your stature, right? Like, wait, what, what does worry actually do? It, it doesn't help anything. And the word of God is so plain here. Listen as we continue to read. If you, verse 26, if you then are not able to do the least, which, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you little of faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind for all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. And here comes the punchline, verse 31. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Amen? What an assurance that was for me at that time as a young man. And about to give my life fully to him, wanting to serve him, not knowing yet in what capacity he was going to use me, but knowing that I wanted to be a proclaimer of the message that he had given to me of the gospel. And this text here in Luke chapter 12 just sealed my decision. 
And if you come to those moments in your life where you're not sure what is going to happen next, take the word of God and ask God to give you a promise. Ask God to give you a passage to sustain you because that's what he wants to do. Amen? He wants to give you these verses in scripture in order for you to be empowered to move forward. And so um, I just remember going to this, to, to this mission college, to this mission school, and I thought to myself when I started comparing my own story with the story of what I would read in Scripture, that it was actually not that radical after all. You know, just start reading the book of Acts. There you find some radical experiences of men and women that, that, that gave everything to the Lord. You know, you read about um, uh, the disciples, the apostles who were first afraid but then they are, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they go forth preaching with boldness and confidence. You know, Peter and John, they come to the temple and there's a layman there. And what do they say to the layman? Silver and gold have I none, but that which I have I give unto thee in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And this guy gets up. I mean, it's incredible stories. Peter ends up in the dungeon in the prison. An angel comes by night and opens the door for him and he goes out. I mean, the, 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 the gospel cannot be hindered. This has been our topic throughout the week, the unhindered gospel. And we have these incredible stories in the book of Acts. And if for a moment we take our story and we put it in the midst of the story of Acts, you know, what people call radical might not be that radical after all. You know, I just did that for a moment. I thought to myself, you know, you have the story of Peter and John that, that, that healed the layman, and then you have Peter being freed from the prison, and you have, you know, Paul being knocked off his horse on the way to Damascus and this dramatic conversion story. He's blinded, but his eyes are open. And, and then put right, right in there, Daniel went to a Bible college. Oh, now that's radical. Let's get our highlighter. I'm going to preach on that next week. Right? I mean, it's not that radical. What people think is radical today is actually ordinary or bordering on, on, on boring in the story of Acts. Right? And so we have just a little bit of a twisted idea about what is radical. And don't let people convict you that it's radical when you give everything to God. Amen? Don't let people convict you that it's radical when you say, I want to serve Him the rest of my life. And my friends, that's not just a cliche. It can be reality when you build your life upon the promises of God's Word. You can actually act upon this book. You can become part of this story. What do you say? God wants to make you part of this story. He, wa he's, he wants to write the book of Acts, and he's continuing to write it even in our very day and age today. We think about the book of Acts, and, and we have these amazing chapters, but this book is an unfinished story, my friends. Chapters are still being written in heaven. And I believe that one day when we get to heaven, we will have access to the full edition of the book of Acts. And can you imagine just going through that and, and you, know, you know, chapter 5,543, there's a story about you. Amen. There's a story about you, how you're reaching out to, to your neighbors, or you're reaching out to your friends, or you're reaching out to your colleagues, or you're reaching out to those on the street that you don't know, that you're knocking on doors, or whatever you are doing, however God is using you, you can be part of an incredible story that is being written. Even as I speak, this story is being written. It's the story of the unhindered gospel. We've been talking this week about the unhindered gospel, and it's just so powerful because in the Greek, the last word in the book of Acts is the word unhindered. And we read there in, 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 in the last chapter of the book of Acts how Paul, well, why don't we just go there for a moment, go to the book of Acts to the very last chapter, and look at the very last verses. Paul, it finds himself in Rome, 
and he is under house arrest, and yet, despite of these challenging situations and circumstances, the gospel is going forth with great power. Let's read it. Acts chapter 28, and look at verse 30 and 31, the last two verses of the book of Acts. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all, what does it say in your Bible? Confidence, no one forbidding him. He couldn't leave his house. He was under house arrest. He was waiting for the trial, for his trial, which happened in Rome, and eventually he, he lost his head. He was beheaded. But nonetheless, in these last moments of his life, what's happening? The gospel is going forth unhindered, unhindered, unhindered. It's being preached with confidence, great confidence. The story of Acts started in an upper room where disciples gathered together praying for the outpouring of the Spirit, and it ended in a room in Rome where Paul couldn't go anywhere, but the gospel was going everywhere. Amen? The gospel is being preached. The gospel is going forth unhindered. And the appeal for you and for me is to allow the gospel to go unhindered in our lives, for, for it to, sh to shine forth in our experience. And I think in order for that to happen, it's good for us to take that step back and to understand the larger picture, the bigger picture of things that is happening. God is in pursuit of you, and he knows the circumstances of your life, and he has shaped those circumstances in order for you to know him and experience him and for the gospel to go forth in your life. Let's go back for, to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Romans chapter 8, and let, it, let us look a little bit closer at these verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called, whom he called, those he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Just think about it. Long before you were born, you existed in the mind of God, and God already had a plan for you. He predestined you. The word, the word actually predestined comes from the... Um, from the, from the Greek word, pro, I don't know if I pronounce this right, proriso, which means to determine before, to mark off beforehand, to purpose before it happens. Now, of course, uh, predestination can be misunderstood because um, predestination does not mean that there is no choice involved. It doesn't mean that God has just determined who is going to be saved and who is going to be lost. Nowhere in Scripture is it suggested that God has predestined certain people to be saved and lost regardless of our own choice in the matter. God predestined us all to be saved by initiating a plan by which we can all be saved, but it's up to us to make the decision, right, to allow that plan to have effect in our lives. And yet, nonetheless, sometimes we're a little bit afraid of this, of, of, of predestination because it's been so, so misused in Christianity that we kind of move and shy away from it. But the very fact that God knew us before we were born is a very important truth for us to understand. Very important for us to understand that God has, has put things in, 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 in working in preparation 
for your life. Think about Jeremiah for a moment, and I just love the story of Jeremiah where God comes to him, um, and you can read this in chapter 1 and verse 5, and he says the following to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And, and that just must have blown the mind of Jeremiah because he had his own purposes and his own plans laid out. But suddenly God says, you know, I knew you before you were born. Before you were in the womb, I thought of you and I ordained you to be a prophet. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's coming. He knows where Israel was heading. He saw the need of a voice in Israel, a voice of warning, a voice of calling the people back to God. And so he thinks about Jeremiah and then he allows Jeremiah to come into existence. And Jeremiah is a young man when God comes and calls him and says, I knew you before you were born. This is the plan and purpose I have for you. And now it's up to Jeremiah to make a decision. Is he going to surrender to God's plan for his life? And, and we should not think that this is just the case for Jeremiah. That's so easy, you know. Yeah, that, that, that was Jeremiah's story. But certainly, you know, I'm just, you know, an accident or I'm just, you know, here. Wasn't really planned and... I don't really know what I should do with my life. And my friends, God has purposed each one of us. He knew you before you were born. He thought about you. And in his great plan, he predestined you. And he wants you to be saved, but he wants you to surrender your life to him, to give yourself to him, to allow him to work in you so that you can go forth with the unhindered gospel. These verses in Romans are just so precious. They're so powerful. They show that actually our story is part of a greater story. And sometimes we just, what happens is when we hinder the gospel, we basically encapsulate it. And we say, okay, the gospel was this moment in my life or this event in my life. And, and God is going, no, 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 read the word, read the word. The gospel is this. The gospel is a bigger story. It's a bigger picture. It started before you were born and it reaches into eternity and you play this part, but you just need to recognize that and realize that and surrender to that and allow God to do the sustaining work that he wants to. Amen? And this is the sustaining power of God. And you know what is so assuring about this message? It is so assuring because then suddenly it's not all about me and my decisions and my, and my uh, situations and my challenges and my trials. And it's actually about God that has a plan. It's about God that is writing a story. And I'm part of that. I get to be part of that. And that is just a gr the greatest joy that I could ever imagine to be part of that to tap into that and to allow God to do the work that he wants to do in my life. Now look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 because I believe this can be a great encouragement for many of us this morning. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. In the, in, in, as, as we bring this verse into this picture that we have of God and the story he wants to write and how he wants to use us in our, and our lives to bring the gospel unhindered to those around us, listen to what Paul writes in verse 31. This is so beautiful. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, God has a big story. And the beautiful thing about all of this story, this beautiful gospel where God had a plan for you before you were born and has a plan for you to spend with him uh, throughout eternity, the beautiful thing is that God is on your side. God is, God is not against us. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? God is on your side. When it comes to your salvation, God is on your side. Amen? God wants you to be saved. God wants you to experience the fullness of the gospel. Now, a couple of months ago, I was going through a very difficult time in my life, and as a matter of fact, you know, sometimes, sometimes the mirror of life is just held up so clearly before us that when we look into it, we just recognize our own weaknesses and frailties. Sometimes we're doing pretty fine, but then there are just these moments that you think, oh, I come so much short. You know, I wish I could be there, but I'm still here. You know what I mean? And there was this moment in my life where I, I, I almost despaired and I thought, you know, I'm just not good enough. And I know this is a wrong way of thinking because we should be looking at Christ, but sometimes we tend to look at ourselves. We see our own weaknesses. And you know, when I was going through this inner struggle, and Paul talks about those inner struggles that we can have as Christians. We are hard-pressed on every side, he says, but we do not despair. You know, we are hard-pressed, but we're not to despair. We have these moments where we think, you know, oh, how am I going to make it? How am I going to, uh, is this truth? Will it ever really, you know, take on flesh and blood in my life? Will I ever be able to make this, you know, work in my life? And I had one of those moments, and, and I just remember my wife, Sylvia, she comes over, and without saying anything, she just, you know, put her arms around me. And, you know, in that moment, I thought to myself, isn't that exactly what God does with us? You know, God's arms of omnipotence, they are right wrapped around you. God is for you, amen? God is for you. And this is, this is an experience that, that each of us will have to come to at one point in our lives where we recognize that, you know, we cannot do this on our own, but God is for us. His arms are wrapped around us. His sustaining power is right there. It's hard to explain. But God sustains us. God is there. That same day, I read this quote that I want to share with you here. It's taken from This Day with God, page 226. And I just love this, the way that God encourages us at the very moments we need it. You know, we come to the point that we don't know what, how we're going to move forward, and God gives us that verse. We come to the moment that we're in despair, almost despairing, and God gives us just those words that we need. Listen to what... Uh, Ellen White writes here in this book, This Day with God. She says, Today human beings stand before God with defiled garments. All their righteousness is as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, verse 6. Satan uses against them his masterly accusing power, pointing to their imperfections as evidence of their weakness. He points scornfully at the mistakes of those who claim to be doing God's service. They have been deceived by him, and he begs for permission to destroy them. Can you just grasp the picture here of the enemy that is just begging to destroy you, begging to destroy me, pointing at our weaknesses? But then it goes on to say, listen to this, but they trust in Christ, and Christ will not forsake them. He came to this world to take away their sins and to impute to them his righteousness. He declares that through faith in his name, they may receive forgiveness and perfect Christ-like characters. They have confessed their sins to him and have asked for pardon, and Christ declares that because they look and believe on him, he will give them power to become sons of God. Their characters are defective, but because they have not trusted in their own merits and excused their sins, because they have asked for forgiveness through the merits 
of Christ, the Lord receives them. He rebukes Satan because they have humbled themselves, confessing their sins. He refuses to listen to the enemy's accusations. He has abundantly pardoned the penitent ones and will carry forward in them his work of redeeming love if they will continue to believe in him and trust in him. Can you say amen to that? I mean, there is an enemy that is, that is accusing you. There is an enemy that is pointing at your weaknesses. And sometimes you buy into that and you start looking at yourself and you say, there's no chance for me. There's no hope for me. I'm, I'm never going to be made, able to live the life that I read about in here. It's just, it's, it's just too foreign for my, for my experience. It's maybe for someone else, but it's not for me. And when you have those moments, my friends, you need to trust in God and come to him and say, I don't see how it's going to happen, but I trust in you. I believe in in you. And when we say that and when we affirm that, then Christ has promised, God has promised that, you know, he wraps his arms of omnipotence around us. And the accuser is rebuked. Amen. The accuser is rebuked. And we can carry and we can press on, press forward with the confidence that he that has started a good work in us will also complete it. You know, he has started it. He's going to complete it. Remember the bigger picture. We get so much caught up in these moments of despair. But remember, God is at work. Allow him to work in your life. Even believing and trusting in God really comes from him. I remember this, uh, this story in the Bible, and I just love it, where in, in Mark chapter 9, it tells us about a, a demon-possessed boy, and the father brings him to Jesus. And you might remember this story. And uh, Jesus says to the father that, that, they must that he must believe. And he says, if you believe all things, if you believe all things are possible to him who believes. And do you remember the response of the father there? He says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes we, don't, we, we, we shouldn't even trust in our own ability to believe in God. We should rather pray, Lord, help my unbelief. Teach me how to believe in you. Give me the power, the sustaining power to believe in you, to follow you, and to trust you. If you're still in Romans chapter 8, I want you to look at verse 26, verse 26, which is another lesson of how dependent we are on the sustaining power of God when it comes to our salvation. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, look at what it says. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, that, that, that verse really gives me assurance because sometimes I find myself wanting to pray, but, you know, I just feel that my prayers are like hitting the ceiling or I feel that my prayers are just, I'm not able to put into language um, what is going on in my heart, what's going on in my life. Have you ever experienced the same? And you wonder, like, like, how am I going to get this experience of, of really being able to, to, to say what is really going on inside of me? And the promise in Romans 8 is that there's a spirit, the Holy Spirit, that is bringing those prayers of yours, the Holy Spirit that knows exactly what's going on inside of you, and he's taking those words, imperfect though they be, 
And he's taking those words, even though you're not able to fully, you know, picture what actually is going on inside of you, but he's taking those words and he's bringing it to the Father in, 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 in such a language that, 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 that is exactly communicating all that is going on in your life and your deepest needs. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, don't you just rest in that promise? Again, we're talking here this morning about the sustaining power of God, which is put on display here in Romans chapter 8. Which really makes me think more and more that you know, my salvation is God's responsibility. You know, he had a plan before I was born. He has a plan that reaches into eternity. Uh, and, 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 and I, I want to just give myself to that plan. I want to say, God, your plan is better than mine. Your purpose is better than mine. You had a purpose before I was born. You want to spend eternity with me. I want to belong to you. I don't know really how to pray. I don't know always what to say or how to say it, but I rest assured that you are working in my life, and I just want you to continue to do your work in me. Amen? I just want to allow you to do your work in me that you have begun. Finish it, Lord. Finish it. And... We are a predominantly young congregation here this morning, but for those of you that are a little bit older, you will be able to look at your life and look back on your life and say, yeah, there were moments where God sustained me there. God sustained me there. You can trace the hand of God in your life. And even when you're young, there will be moments that you can look back and you say, God helped me through that. He gave me the promise there that sustained me through that difficult moment. You know, Shortly before I got married with Sylvia, uh, this is about 10 years ago, this month we actually had our 10-year anniversary, and um, we were in a, in a Sabbath, on a Sabbath afternoon, we were gathered with friends, and this was just shortly before we got married, and everyone had to share their favorite verse in that group, and uh, I remember that uh, we both had the same verse in our minds immediately, like that, and uh, th this was the verse, uh, the verse and, and some of you will even know it by heart, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And uh, I think that this capsulates exactly what we're talking about here this morning. And I want to read it to you, Hebrews chapter 12. It just gives an assurance that nothing else can. Hebrews chapter 12, look at what it says, verse 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And you can look at your life and say, yes, I can see the way that God has been working in my life. He's been the author of this journey that I'm on, this story that I'm on. And my friends, just as he started this work in you, so he's going to end this work in you. And you need to rest in that. You need to put your confidence in the sustaining power of God. There's a larger picture going on here, a bigger picture. And when you rest in that, you can be assured that what he started, he will also complete. He will sustain you in your journey. So whether you're a teenager, or whether in your early 20s, or you're in your early 30s, or 40s, or 50s, or you're, or you're coming you know, towards the end of your life, whatever, whatever time you're in, whatever moment you're in in your life, you can rest on this promise that Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. There's not a moment where you can say, okay, thank you for starting this, Lord. I'll be fine right now, and I'll just call on you when I have a difficult moment. 
And yet this is many times how we live our lives. We go throughout life, we think, oh God, now I'm coming to a challenge, now I'm coming to a test, now I'm coming to this or that, now I need you. Now I need you. And, and, and God is going like, you always needed me. There's never a moment in your life that you did not need me. There's never a breath that you took that you didn't take without my power. There's never a moment in your life that, 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 that you were on your own. I was always there for you. It's like a little child that is learning how to walk. And, you know, he's holding the, 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 the hands of his, of his father or his mother that is standing behind him. And sometimes that child is not even aware who is holding him up. And many times this is how we live our Christian life. We go around in life and we're not aware of who holds us up. Who sustains us? I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not just happening that tomorrow morning you wake up with a desire to praise God. That's the Spirit of God at work in you. It doesn't just happen. How can I be confident that tomorrow I'm going to be a Christian? How can I be confident that next week I'm going to serve God? How can I be confident that I'm going to go to my next preaching appointment? Because without God, it's not possible. It's only the sustaining power of God that makes me move forward in His will. It's only His sustaining power that wakes me up in the morning with even a desire to read His Word and to seek Him in prayer. And so what you must do and what I must do is say, God, I see that there's a bigger story at work here, much bigger than I could ever have imagined. And I want to tap into that story. You predestined me before I was born. You had a plan for me. You thought about me. Just think about creation. God thought something, and then he brought it into existence by the word of his mouth. You know, he, he thought about light, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. You know, God thought about uh, the beautiful variety of trees, and he spoke them into existence. He thought about beautiful flowers and, and animals and fish in the sea and birds in the sky. He thought about all these variety of animals, and he spoke them into existence. And then he said, let us make man in our image. He thought about man, what he would look like, what he would be like, the relationship that he would have with him. He thought about the woman. He thought about all of this. And then he brings it into existence. Everything that is created first existed in the mind of God. How can we ever think that we were not planned before our birth? I mean, God thought about you. God planned you. God purposed you. And he allowed you come into, into, to come into existence so that you can be part of this big, big story that puts God on display and his character. And I believe that when we start grasping just a little bit of what that means, the purpose of God in sustaining our lives as is portrayed in Romans chapter 8, that we'll be like, God, wow, this is beautiful, this is real, and it's not something that just rests on me. My salvation is not resting on me, it's resting on you. I mean, uh, to, I'm, just bit, I'm just part of a bigger story, Lord, and I just want to say to you, like, like, thank you for allowing me to be part of this story. I just want to tap into what you're doing. You started this journey I'm on, and I believe that you will finish it. I believe that you'll bring this thing to a good end. Amen? And as long as we, as long as we choose to follow him and allow him to do that work within us, that plan that he had from eternity will be established. Amen? What you just need to do is don't wrestle yourself out of the hands of God. Don't wrestle yourself out of His, out of his work that He is doing. If there's an, an analogy in the Bible that I love more than anything else, it's the analogy that you find in Jeremiah chapter 18 where God is the potter and man is the clay. And God is potter. He wants to shape our lives. He wants to take that clay and form it and mold it and shape it. You know, he wants His image to be reproduced in each one of us. But you've got to allow him to do that work. 
Place yourself as the clay in the hands of the potter. Allow him to work in your life. How does that happen? In a very practical way. In a very practical way. It starts in the morning where you say, Lord, you have a better plan than I have. And I don't know what that exactly is going to look like, but I want to just tell you that I belong to you and I want your will to be done in my life. I want to see your promises really taking on effect in my life. I want the gospel to go forth unhindered. And how many of you this morning, as you look at this promise in Romans chapter 8, that God is for you, how many of you want to rejoice in that and say, God, if you're for me, who can be against me? And in that promise, I want to live my life. I want to live my life with the sustaining power of God. How many of you say, yes, that's the experience I want? Amen. Praise the Lord. We enter into a story that is much larger than any of our lives. It is a story that is continuing continue to, be writ, to be written and of which we can be part. The unhindered gospel will go forth. And we are living in solemn times, as each one of you know. The world is crumbling to bits around us. And very, very soon, Jesus will come again. Very soon we will behold him face to face. What you do with your next moments of life, because it's really only moments, what you do with the the few moments of your life that you have before you is of utter importance. And God wants to use you to be a voice for him. God wants to use you to be a conduit of his glory. Because there's nothing, nothing greater in life. There's no greater joy than serving him. No greater joy than belonging to him. And so ask the Lord, Lord, how can you use me in your cause? How can I take the unhindered gospel and allow it to go forth unhindered in my life? You can ask that prayer and God will guide you and lead you and sustain you as he has promised. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to come before you on your Sabbath day. What a joy it is to know you Lord, as we've looked at some lessons from Romans chapter 8, we are just reminded of the bigger picture. Lord, help us to grasp your plans for our lives. Help us to see how you want to use us for your gospel, the unhindered gospel, to go forth. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance that you are on our side, that whatever the enemy may bring before us, as railing accusations that you are there to rebuke him as we put our trust in you. Thank you for wrapping your arms around us and for the knowledge that we can have, and not only the knowledge, but the assurance that we can have in our minds, in our hearts, in our beings, that you are there for us. Thank you, Lord. Help us to, re- help us to rest our assurance upon those promises and to move forward in faith. Thank you so much, Lord, for the work that you have begun and the work that you have promised to complete. Thank you for being the author and finisher of our faith. And we thank you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.